Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma. Joining me to take your questions this evening is Jean-Pierre Ferstad from Protea Capital and Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. Do send those questions via SMS to 41392. Email, uh, email, email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. We are wrapping up the month of February and I actually just realized it was not on purpose that uh, I'm wearing Valentine's Day colors, Valentine's Month colors, but... Uh, <laughs> So as we wrap up, uh, this, today is the last trading day of February. Uh, just starting with you, JP, how would you package the month of February for the markets? Um, I would call it a, a love and hate month, Zanati. <laughs> so um, there, were, there were some results that came out, some, some movements in, in share prices. The commodity space was quite interesting. The platinum miners have been under pressure. Um, some retailers f fell sharply, like two years when they came out with results during the month. Uh, in the U.S. as well, a lot of results. So it's a month where some stocks were loved, but you can clearly see that some stocks got beaten and fell sharply because uh, they missed out on all the love that went around in February. Yeah, but actually, it seems that the JSC um, hasn't experienced as much hate as the U.S. markets and the U.S. markets. There seems to be a cushion on the JSC. Tammy, is that your sentiment? Uh, no, I think uh, you recognize that the JSC is largely an index of portfolio companies. So um, the rate at which they go up and down is averaged out generally to a point where it will generally then go up. Uh, but in comparison to global markets, global markets face unique headwinds that we don't face domestically, uh, largely around quantitative easing, uh, reducing the Fed balance sheet, interest rates, uh, potential recessions, elections. So there's a lot of things that are being faced, especially in the U.S., uh, that we are not necessarily facing on our end. Yeah. And actually, JP, uh, you mentioned we <clears throat> have, of course, um, come to kind of the end of the U.S. earnings season. What were the major standouts for you there? Well, the one company that stood out for me was Meta. Uh, its share price yeah. rose sharply on the back of results that were, whether you want to call it, less bad than expected or, or better than expected. Um, so that's the one that stood out for me. In general, I would say that earnings of U.S. companies were resilient, were quite strong. Um, there was the concern that uh, the outlook statements of a lot of companies will be quite negative. Uh, they, they might indicate that they expect uh, a softness in economic data and in the economy in general. And that has not been the case so far. So that's partly why the, the most recent uh, expectation is that maybe the, the Fed fund rates will go higher than expected because the economy, at, at least in the U.S., has been stronger than expected. And uh, you see that with a lot of the outlook statements of companies that were reasonably positive, not as negative as people thought they might be. Yeah. And bringing it back home, uh, we are now in the thick of results season at home. Uh, we've had, I think, about two weeks of companies releasing results and trading statements. What has stood out for you there from those comments and from those numbers, Tammy, on the JSC? Uh, Discovery was definitely the standout for me. Um, they faced uh, very difficult circumstances, especially post-COVID which they've weathered through. Uh, they've shown they're able to offer diversity in their product offering, and they're able to have resilient customers. And the stickiness of their customers based on their product portfolio and the things they offer for you being part of uh, their sort of network 
So Discovery has sort of mimicked Apple by creating an ecosystem that is self-sustaining with Vitality and all the other add-ons that they have. Uh, so, so Discovery was a standout for me. Yeah, we see that with that graph, there was a blip there around October last year. And I'm imagining, uh, imagining that's uh, after they came out with their last set of results before this one that we saw last week. Uh, JP, would you say that there is a uh, significant shift in terms of sentiment when it comes to discovery and that that dip that we saw in October was just a temporary blip? Well, you can see from the share price of Discovery since the results, uh, which has performed very strongly, that it does seem like there's a positive sentiment towards Discovery. There were some concerns running up to the results, uh, for instance, the, the impact of the new accounting standard on insurance, IFRS 17, and they sort of said they don't expect a, a huge impact because of that. Um, some concerns regarding how much money they've spent on Discovery Bank, and they showed good client growth there. So a lot of the concerns uh, have been answered uh, in the results, and that's why the sentiment has improved, the share price has, has run up. Um, so it becomes a, a, a positive feedback loop. When you have a higher share price, that quite often also feeds into better sentiment. So uh, it's, it's sometimes difficult to know which one is the cause and which one is the effect. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I'm not sure if you guys look at this property company, especially after everything that's been going on, Robosis. Uh, does the panel know the difference between Robosis A shares and B shares? Um, are there any benefits of holding the A shares should the company liquidate? I actually also haven't, be, uh, haven't looked at this in quite a while. Um, is there any in business rescue? Uh, do any of you guys know what's, what's happening there with Robosis? Uh, not on my end, no. Uh, we've stayed out of the REITs market. Yeah, uh, I think we, 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 we've seen a lot of damage there, so we've uh, typically avoided. There might be value going forward after these corrections and revaluations, and we'll take a look at Yeah. JP? We, we were short Robosa shares a few years ago when it went like <laughs> from 10 rand to below 1 rand. So we made some good money, but we haven't been involved for the last three years or so. Um, I do recall that Rebosis A shares have got a preference, uh, preferential claim on income. I'm not sure if it has a preferential claim on capital in the case of a, uh, a liquidation. <clears throat> Normally, these shares uh, have got the same preference when it comes to income and capital, which means that if there is a liquidation, the Rebosis A shares uh, should be safer than the B shares. But remember, also in liquidation, it could be that the debt is so high that neither the A or the B shares get anything. Um, yeah. So, so I'd be very cautious and not necessarily go too big into the rebosis A's. They, they might be a bit safer than the B's, mm. but they are still very risky given the financial situation of the whole company. Agreed. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, well, let's go into more questions. Um, capital and counties and insurance. Um, Tammy, let's insurance. Pick one. Outsurance or capital and counties? I'll definitely pick outsurance. I think they've got a strong business model, big market. They can continue to expand. They've done well in Australia. Uh, they've got a good big brother uh, in, in, in the RMB brand, uh, RMH. Uh, I think uh, they, they have a longer term and more market share to, to conquer than uh, any other sort of insurance player in that space. Um, they also have quite a few innovative models that they've implemented, especially if you look around uh, the potholes in Johannesburg and the and the pointsmen, and I guess it's nationwide, uh, but they've got a, a good set of 
of value adds that they bring to the table that enable uh, giving insurance with them and claiming with them much easier. Yeah. Uh, JP, on your side, uh, when you go look at that short-term insurance uh, sector, would you actually go in there and if you do have an appetite for it, uh, where would you go? Zanati, I've got a voracious appetite for short-term insurance. I, I really like the short-term insurance sector. It's a pity we effectively only have two companies in the sector in South Africa, being Outsurance and Suntam. Yeah. We mm -hmm. own both in our funds. Outsurance is one of our biggest holdings. The short-term insurance sector, if, if it's well-managed, mm. it's a great business because you get your claims, you get your premiums before you pay your claims. And in a higher interest rate environment, that benefits a short-term insurer. It must just make sure that they keep a lid on the claims. Um. So great business models when they are well-managed, and we like both, uh, but we also have a preference for our insurance at the moment. I'm actually interested in uh, your guys' thoughts on how they're performing right now because they they they... they um, there's obviously pricing dynamics in, in a constrained consumer environment. Uh, also talking about more claims coming through for load shedding and, and the like. So do you just take those businesses as cyclical, Tami? No, I think uh, they are encountering unique situations uh, similar yeah. to COVID um, in, in, in sort of impact, not necessarily scale. Uh, the, it's a unique situation that they have to navigate. The pricing... And you can start all the way back from the, the Durban looting riots. The pricing of insurance will adjust uh, over time to, to cater for that. So I think it's a, it's a season they have to go through. They have to manage. They have to design their models to cater for things like load shedding. Uh, and once they've figured out the right pricing models, which I think they will, um, it will eventually result in profits. Um, I think the one thing that insurers have is data they are able to gather a huge and hordes amount of data and analyze it at a very rapid rate uh, and can quickly make decisions around pricing, yeah. uh, increases, hikes. Uh, so they'll have data they are studying around load shedding, robots, traffic, and how that's impacting claims and accidents. And they will adjust their policies uh, accordingly. Yeah. Uh, okay, Tammy did mention earlier on that um, he doesn't have much of an appetite for property encounters. Capital and counties, JP, what's your take? For, for a long time, I was concerned about capital and counties, and then they did the merger with, um, what was it, Shaftesbury, uh, yeah. sort of their neighbor uh, in, in central London. Um, and in that whole share swap deal, they effectively addressed a lot of the, the debt concerns and, and lack of cash generation. That was a concern of, of capital and counties previously. So I think the business is now being stabilized now that it's a combined merged entity. Um, I mean, you still have a lot of Middle Eastern and Russian money that had uh, flowed into uh, the middle of London property that stopped a few years ago. And that's why the London property market effect effectively burst. Um, and you see that in the capital and county share price, which is, which is down probably two thirds of the last five, six years. Where it is now, with the stabilization, I think for the first time in, in probably 10 years, uh, capital and counties could be on one's radar if one has a positive view that even with high interest rates now behind us, the high hiking cycle, even though in actual terms they are high, the worst of what could have happened to commercial property is now behind us. 
and things will be less worse going forward. So for the first time in 10 years, it's worth it. Well, let's get into more of the viewer questions. There's a question here. Can the panel give their view on the four banks after grey listing? Will the grey listing influence their profits and will uh, foreigners sell our banks? I actually had a conversation um, with an analyst from Ashburton Investments yesterday and it doesn't really seem like there is there will be much of an impact when it comes to bank earnings, even investor sentiment. Um, Tammy, would you agree or not? I partially agree. I think uh, the long-term effects of the grey listing will only work their way through the system over time. Uh, when money flows are tapered, more monitored, and the Reserve Bank takes stricter actions. Uh, at this point, one is unable to say that they will have act activity. I think the banks have huge books uh, domestically and have uh, a balance of books in the rest of Africa. So their, their, their real money is in lending to the domestic economy, uh, business-wise and personal. And I think that part of their business is going to be resilient going forward. Uh, but the money movement, money transfers, exchange rates, forex movements, I think that is going to largely rest on the central bank and how they crack down on on the movement of money and that's only going to be seen over the course of the next 18 to 24 months yeah um jp do you agree or do you have some concerns of how that could filter through to the banks maybe in the short term i, I agree with tommy that it's more a long-term question yeah um, gray listing is one thing but we've now got say two years as a country as a financial services industry as a prosecuting authority to really uh, um, step up and improve things. Mm -hmm. And um, if we can do that, hopefully we'll get off the gray list. If we don't do that, what we don't want is a blacklisting. We don't want mm -hmm. is to move even further away from what is seen as being acceptable in terms of financial flows and being able to pick up who are ultimate beneficial owners and when there are illicit flows. Mm -hmm. So in the short term, we have a win of opportunity and we must all take this opportunity. And, and hopefully, like I say, the, the big party that needs to to, to pull up their socks is the prosecuting authorities. Yeah. We need some people to go to jail, and that will really help. So let's hope that happens in the next two years. Yeah, all right. Uh, more questions. There's a question here on NAMPAC. Any particular reason why NAMPAC's share price dropped by more than 6% today? And what is the short-term outlook for NAMPAC? Tell me, any significant uh, catalyst there today? Uh, we haven't dug into it, so I wouldn't know right now. What I will say is, as, as a business, they're heavily linked to electricity and manufacturing. So I think there's an element there of rising costs in their manufacturing process. Uh, but the detail, we, we haven't dug into it, so we don't have a view yet. Yeah. Um, JP, short-term outlook uh, for NAMPAC? Not looking good. I mean, the balance sheet is under pressure. They need to have a rights issue. The only question is how big will the rights issue be? Uh, the bankers have got one view. They want as big a rights issue as possible. Shellers have a different view. They want a smaller rights issue as possible. That's still sustainable. And the management are in the middle between the bankers and the shellers. So it's an interesting fight. And that's why the share is quite volatile, because there's a very thin layer of equity still in this business. Uh, because of the large amount of debt. So expect more volatility for, um, in the NAPAC share price 
as the banks and the shelters tug and try to get to a, uh, a, a resolution about what's the correct number for the rights issue. Okay. Besides that, of course, we'll have to deal with that in the short term, the rights issue. Um, but looking at NAMPAC's fundamentals, JP, do you not think that they're supportive enough for um, an optimistic um, or less pessimistic outlook on the longer term outlook? Potentially. You've got one great business, BevCan, and then you have a few mediocre businesses around it. And then you've got a proper issue with businesses in Africa that on an accounting basis make profits. Mm. But the moment you try to translate those accounting profits into cash, you, uh, you take a proper haircut by extracting that money from those countries. So because of that, there's probably some surgery needed uh, for Lampac to, um, to really be a good investment proposition over the long term. Yeah, all right. Um, there's one uh, on CA Sales. Uh, do any of you look at CA Sales? Uh, of course, the was unbundled from PSG, right, uh, at the, towards the end of last year. Uh, Tommy, do you have a view on CA Sales? No, uh, it's not a stock we cover. Uh, JP? Zanati, in my early days of my career, CA Sales was still a separately listed business. And I quite liked it. It was a distribution business and it still is operating significantly in Botswana and other African countries together with South Africa. Then it was sort of swallowed up by PSG and now it's been listed on its own again after the unbundling. So I like the business. I remember it from when it was previously listed. It's bulked up. It's a bigger business. Distribution is good. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that gets moved around on the African continent in, in sub-Saharan Africa. And, um, and you can make a decent margin by moving all this stuff around, especially across borders. So I like the business. It's not particularly expensive at the moment. The day it was unbundled, the price was wrong. It was too high, effectively. Mm -hmm. It's come down sharply. And where it is currently, I quite like CI sales, actually. Ah, all right. We're talking about good prices, is Sibanye um, at a good price right now? We have seen it taking a hit. Uh, recently, um, of course, we know what's happening with um, the commodity prices that have eased. They came out with results today, um, taking in more pain. They're talking about exogenous factors impacting uh, their operations and their finances, but still saying that their uh, core adjusted um, or adjusted core profit is still the third highest since its listing, of course, even though it has decelerated from uh, the record we saw in 2021. Just looking at how how it's, it's been beaten down and they're still declaring a dividend. Um, Tammy, would you say that this would be a good price to get into Sibanye or not? So uh, price-wise, I don't think at this stage, I think there's a little bit more margin to, to go. But as a business, a long-term view of the business, I think it's a good business. Uh, they produce a variety of commodities. They've got great management. And I think uh, they, they, they will have to navigate the economic uh, hardships that come around that are not within their control. Uh, the downside of mining businesses is they don't get to determine their pricing. So they are price takers. Uh, and on top of that, they have to accept rand volatility. Um, so, so I think as a business, the commodities they sell, gold and platinum, I think it's a very good business in that regard. Those are highly demanded commodities and they'll continue to be. Uh, however, the future, given what's happening with electronic vehicles and in the EU, may, may have to be navigated differently around the platinum, platinum market and catalytic converters. But as a business, as management, I think they're they a great business. I think there's still a little bit more fat to be trimmed off that price. 
but as a stock, it's something we hold, uh, and we think over the long term will return some good results. Uh, JP, uh, there was uh, a reduction in that dividend. Uh, is it still attractive? Yeah, uh, look, um, if you look at what the Platinum Group Metals prices did last year, they spiked because of the Ukrainian invasion by Russia. People expected that Russia, which is the other big country, other big source of PGM metals, especially palladium, uh, would see sanctions and that metal would be stuck in Russia. That hasn't happened. That metal has still flowed, and Sabani spoke about that in their commentary. But where we are now, a lot of those mines like Norils um, are struggling to import some of the parts that they need to mine the metals. So we could see for 2023 a bigger negative impact on the metal supply from Russia, which would be positive for the platinum group metal prices and be positive for Sabanye. Um, and then they are uh, trying to diversify into battery metals, uh, lithium and, and nickel, mm -hmm. uh, for instance. Yeah. So I, I do agree with Tommy that um, it's a good management team. They are trying to diversify away from internal combustion engine vehicles with the catalytic converters to lithium, which is used in EV vehicles. And uh, if they are successful in that, um, then uh, the prospects look good for, for Sabanya. But it's going to take a while. So I'm also a bit cautious in the short term. Um, yeah. Okay. Would you be cautious on WBHO, seeming that they've made quite a turnaround, of course, as they reach the end of their operations in Australia, uh, talking about good performance in South Africa and the UK. It was in line um, with the prior period, even though there were challenges there. rest of Africa was also good. Um, actually, an analyst earlier on that I spoke to called WBHO the best of a bad bunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tammy... Uh, yeah, what do you think of, of WBHO? I agree with the analyst. I think um, uh, construction and engineering businesses are about the book that's coming in the future. Um, the ability to execute cost-saving-wise presently is one thing, uh, but it's their ability to win further business. So this, where that further business is going to come from, um, which countries, which regions, how big it is, and how will they be able to extract those profits back into South Africa is the key issue. Uh, generally, the constructors struggle in that sense, especially around the future book. Um, they are, South African constructors are able to do, do well in terms of operating a, a business or a project. They tend to turn them around in, in a profitable manner, uh, and that's a great thing for an investor. However, the future is always what we consider how big a book they have going forward. And that's where uh, we have concerns about the whole sector. And WBHO has shown they can operate well, but the future and the future book is where the concern lies. Yeah. What's your sentiment on WBHO, JP? Well, if I compare it to Marion Roberts, and I use an analogy, I would say that Marion Roberts lost an arm and a leg in Australia, and WBHO got a bloody nose in Australia. Okay. So now that they are back and focusing on South Africa, together with some UK operations, um, I think WBHO are licking their wounds, but their prospects are better than yeah. any other construction company in South Africa. The question is, do you want to have exposure to construction? <laughs> if you do, you can choose WBHO. The shares mm -hmm. seem to be reasonably um, fair value at the moment, but it's still a tough sector. So uh, I'm, I'm also a little bit cautious about WBHO. Yeah, Marion Roberts should have sold to the Germans. <laughs> <laughs>
But Avenge, though, um, we're talking about losses, Marion Roberts losing an arm and a leg, um, and WPHO coming out with a bloody nose. Avenge seems to have gained some muscle there, wouldn't you say, JP? <laughs> yes, they broke her arm, and then now the arm is loose, so now they can, uh, they can get back to work. So they're looking better, but there's still, there's still some work they need to do. I mean, they've got high cash balances, yeah. and the question is what they're going to do with that. And the concern is they're going to throw that cash into the water, so let's wait and see. Yeah, Avenge, um, Tommy. <laughs> I'm hoping they address their debt situation. I think uh, construction businesses are better with uh, large equity um, and then less debt. Uh, yeah. Let the debt be project by project basis. Um, I think they, if they address their debt situation or they find a way to use their available cash to restructure that, I think then they'll enter into the WBHO field. Uh, but as an industry, they have to start looking at where's the next phase of construction going to come from and go after those next phases very hard. Yeah, well, the CEO did say that after the sale of Trident Steel that they would be debt-free. So looking like they're, they're coming mm -hmm. along. Uh, let's get to your stock picks. Uh, Tammy, sticking with you, what will your stock pick be for today? Pinduoduo, Duo, the Chinese agriculture platform. I think uh, the, the future of uh, that logistics and agricultural business is quite great. Uh, we like the stock going forward, and it also caters for a billion people. So I think uh, we we are in that stock, and we believe that it's going to continue to show good returns. Ah, uh, all right. With On some volatility, but okay. good returns. All right. On your side, JP? Also an agricultural flavor. I'm picking Carp Agri. Uh, One of these days, the name is going to change. It's going to become Cal Group or KAL Group, mm. which is also the share code. Uh, they operate a, a whole network of stores that are closer to the um, agricultural industry in smaller towns, Agrimark. And they also made a major acquisition uh, just over a year ago of a, a lot of fuel stations, uh, including on highways. So now they've got significant exposure to selling fuel and convenience stores as well at fuel stations. So uh, they also announced a odd lot offer today. Um, mm. uh, so they'll be repurchasing all their small shells as shares back. And I do think it's good capital allocation, good management team, and a solid business at not too high a valuation. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time and for your analysis today. My guest, Jean-Pierre Ferster from Protea Capital and Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. Julieta is back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. <laughs>